0: church. <clears throat> I've, I've been asked by a couple people why I wasn't dressed up for July the 4th. I am. <clears throat> and besides, we, uh, uh, the British are also red, white, and blue, so you remember that one. Anyway, you guys copied. so what I'm saying. It's probably a copyright infringement. Um, thank you for all of you. If you're watching this live or this week, this is um, very current. Thank you to all of those in Georgia and all over North Florida for coming out to meet me and being a part of this. Uh, two of the house churches in the New Smyrna Beach, Port Orange, South Daytona area actually predate our, South, our Safe Harbor Church by some time. Many of them have been listening to me back in Colorado or back in Michigan. Others uh, had found these groups on their own, but now they're linked in with us. And it was just so neat to find all of those folk. and also. Thanks to Mark Barrows for doing a great job last week, for coming down from uh, the metropolitan Buysville, Ohio, to the small town of Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, I appreciate him slumming with us. If you've ever been to Buysville, I'm not sure you even knew you were there. Uh, But they do an amazing work there and have for the longest time. Well, you say you want a revolution. This isn't going to be about the Beatles. That's not the point. Although the Beatles really launched a countercultural song there, because when they wrote that, there were people saying we want a revolution, and they were carrying little pictures of Chairman Mao and the Little Red Book, and they were talking about how we need to be a part of you know the Soviet Union's philosophy and such. And John Lennon, who was becoming a conservative, but not a Christian or a believer in any sense of the term. Uh, wrote about, you know, no, you, that's, you, you don't get it this way. This is a wrong way to do a revolution. But it's not about the Beatles. Well, is it about the American Revolution? For our visitors and our, our viewers from outside the United States, of whom we have quite a few, you need to know this is not going to be about America today, and it's not about, going to be about that revolution today. The, um, we decided to use this week to start this this launch but no it's it's a lot bigger than that but tell you what what we will do is we'll key in to the american revolution to get started on this all right um um, some people call it the revolutionary war some people call it the war against a perfectly good king i won't quibble but i can remember i can remember when our our teacher had us memorize a poem and it was a poem about the revolutionary war which seemed odd to me, and I, the, it'll stay in my head forever. By the rude bridge that arched the flood, their flag to April's breeze unfurled, here once embattled farmers stood and fired the shot heard round the world. Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote that to, to uh, celebrate the bicentennial of his t- uh, town's founding. It was a powerful image. I do rem- remember wondering why we were memorizing the poem, but also th- thought, well... There's that magical phrase, "A shot" heard round the world." I was probably no older than six or seven, and I was wondering, how does a shot heard around the world? Well, the reason a shot was described that way is because it started a chain of events that would lead to the establishment of a separate, free United States of America, and it would encourage the growth of other democratic movements around the world. But that's not the first time that a movement occurred or an event occurred that was described as changing the world or revolutionizing the world or even more strongly, turning it upside down. In Acts chapter 17, starting at verse 5, but the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But they did not find them. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city council shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have come here now. And and Jason's welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decree, saying that there's, there's another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil they made Jason and the others post-bond and let them go. Well, what's going on here? How can how can just teaching special love and loving Jesus and loving your neighbor cause riots? Well, we know about riots. We've had riots in this country. I've seen riots in a lot of countries and many parts of France, as I say this, are on fire today. And more seems to be spreading to Belgium, the Netherlands and the like, or at least is feared to do so very shortly. Is that what's going on here? No. No, this is something even more fundamentally powerful than that. Because remember the charge. These men, here in the NIV it says, has caused trouble all over the world. Other versions will say, has turned the world upside down. Or has thrown the world into confusion. And what was it? They say, Jesus is king. Hmm. Well, you see all over, all over Rome and the Roman Empire. You would see the equivalent of modern billboards. There would be a pole, and then there'd be a hanging on it, sometimes of cloth, sometimes it would be carved into something. They had all kinds of different ones of these. But it would say, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is God. Caesar is king. And so, whenever Christians walked out saying, we have another king, that was a revolutionary act. It was a very disruptive act. We'll talk, let me talk about disruptors. And this one, we're going to play a little bit with psychology, but don't worry, we're coming right back, all right? Our minds process visual information uh, very uniquely. It's according to how you're wired. We process all information that way, but let's stick with the visual when people are in a crowd there are three types of broad uh, reactions or, or rather interpretations when you look at it some see a wall you know they're in a crowd they see a wall these people often suffer from claustrophobia these people often seek the edge to get away from the crowd they don't want to go shopping on christmas eve they don't want to go Uh, to watch the fireworks on South Broadway in Nashville or downtown High Street in Columbus or wherever you go watch the fireworks. And by the way, if you're not from Middle Tennessee, you've not seen fireworks. These people do not know when to stop. (laughs) I remember the first year I was here sitting on our back deck, looking at all of it going and going and going, and a friend of mine called me and he says, so how's it going? And I said, I haven't seen this many rockets since we lost Baltimore this is uh, this is insane but you know you fire off all of those you know those type things you're going no I'll watch that on the telly I'm not going to go be in the middle of that you see a wall other people see a bunch of people and that that people are moving and they're they're kind of caught in the swarm you know whichever way the crowd is moving other people and i'm one of them we see seams when i see a big group of people i see the pathways now the pathways are always moving it's like a fractal or any living organism a lane will will form and then collapse as another seam opens and so whenever cammy wants something if we're at uh, geodes park or any other big place she i I tell her sit there i'll be right back because i can cut through a crowd really fast i see the seams the same. Whenever I'm driving, I see a seam. But every so often, there will be a person or a group that are disruptors. The seam is moving, and then somebody wanders across it, or stops. Uh, especially on Christmas Eve, I really do believe that you should take a walking test before you're allowed and have a license before you're allowed to enter an enclosed area. Because all of a sudden people will stop and turn around with their cart and take out four people. Which thins the herd a little bit, but it's still not a good way. These are disruptors. And I'll talk more about a disruptor here in a little bit. Christians are disruptors. Because the world goes, we're going to do this. And Christians say, we have a king. And the world's going to say, this is what we believe now. And Christians say, we have a king. And people stay up all night to watch a coronation overseas which is just amazing, it makes me shake my head. The amount of people in the United States will stay up way late to see an old man try on a hat. And I'll go, we have a king. It was the way, however, the Christians disrupted society that shocked them, frightened them. They frightened the authorities. They were a threat to the authorities. They were salt and light. We're gonna to get to that next week. And we've talked about it briefly before, but salt and light are positive influences. If you're doing any sort of chemical or even physics, um, you have to account for the presence or absence of salt or light because their presence or absence changes the equation. When you walk into a room as a Christian, you are supposed to be a disruptor, not a jerk, not not an impolite person but rather a person who by their very allegiance does not go with the flow of everyone else. You're not a cow, you're not a herd, you're not a salmon, you're not a lemming. And by the way, sl- lemmings do not every so often run and jump off cliffs. Disney staged that in a little nature film back in the 50s and everybody believed it since. Lemmings are smarter than that, Than well, than the people that believe they jump off cliffs, I guess, but still have to throw that in, Mr. Science. If your allegiance are not the same, you become a danger to society. Now think about it. If a young person gets up six o'clock in the morning to go to their job, we say, wow, they're a real go-getter. That's amazing. If they get up at six o'clock to pray, we say, that's crazy. Christianity is portrayed as a hostile thing. Sadly, it hasn't been all that hostile. It tends to jump on a lot of wagons that are going everywhere else in society. But again, without being a jerk, you can live your life in love and overflowing with love while still saying, I I have a different king. People have tried to make Jesus into their own image for their own purposes since the gospels were written. And even when he was still walked on this earth, people wanted to make him king, but king in their way. A king that will grab swords and overthrow Rome. A king that will grab tools and rebuild the temple. A king that will, will grab uh, tape and tape out the old borders of the kingdom of David. That's the king they wanted. Now here's, here's the clue. When you get a king, you get a king. You do not get A puppet you do not get a puppy who comes when you want it and goes when you want it I've always loved dogs and I'd love to have a dog today for 15 minutes twice a day (laughs) my lifestyle won't let me be fair to a dog but I would love to be greeted by the dog and then I would love to pet the dog once but a lot of people treat God that way I'll check in with God every now and then but you cannot tell I have another king through the day. Hmm. In John 6 after Jesus feeds 5,000 he gets the apostles to get in a boat and get him out of there. Why? Because people thought we got a king now that'll feed us. And Friends, I don't know that we'll ever learn as we enter into another interminable presidential election cycle here which has not ended since the 1980s at least, we will be promised bread. We will be promised we're going to be fed. We will be promised that we will be cared for, loved by our kings in D.C., London, Paris, wherever it is, The Hague, and they never do. After a while, we need to realize we don't need to be fooled again, but we have a king. A real king. People always vote with their own pocketbooks and their own stomachs, even when it never turns out like they promised. It would be far better if we voted with our head and our beliefs, but maybe that's asking too much for everyone. But it's not asking too much from us, is it? Jesus refused to be the kind of king they wanted, but he was a king, and Jesus is a king today. And that sort of language has not proven popular in democracies. And I've noticed a distinct lack of lessons on the kingship of Christ in my life. Normally, Jesus is different. He's portrayed as uh, uh, wearing pristine white robes, perhaps carrying a lamb, smiling at a kid, gentle smile on his face, good hair, glowing a bit. Who couldn't like this guy? But it seems that a lot of people didn't like Jesus. And they didn't like him to the point where they killed him Because they said he is destroying the peace of our people. He is overthrowing our order. He is ending our church. And he is calling the wrath of the government on us. And Jesus is the Prince of Peace. You say you want a revolution? Be a Christian. Take Jesus as king. Jesus was a disruptor. He disrupted their hopes. Their hopes were an earthly kingdom... With an earthly king, with a conquering army, with re-established borders, and basically heaven, but down here now, for us. Not necessarily for the world, but for us. They didn't want this loving shepherd. They, they rejected that king. Not that Jesus was weak in the loving shepherd guise, not at all. Just a, just a thought, by the way. Jesus in the Bible is described as many things. He is never described as nice. He was described as good. Hear me well. Don't be a jerk. I've been a jerk. I'll probably be a jerk again. And I'm not proud of any time where I was a jerk or when I'll be a jerk. I'll catch myself generally about five seconds too late. I don't know if anybody else has that problem. Um, And have to repent of it. Jesus was never a jerk. But he was a king. And he was good. Good is better than nice. But good is a mixture of velvet and steel. And you have to get the mixture right. Work on that as a sign of obeisance or uh, um, loyalty to your king. Jesus had the mixture right in case you missed it, and I think almost everybody does, Jesus, when he was announced, was announced time and time and time again as king. And we're going to talk more about that next week when we look at the word Christ. But at the start of Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 1, verse 2, he's called a king. At the end of Mark's gospel, Mark 15 and verse 32, he is called a king. And Paul, in writing in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 15, says he is the blessed and only sovereign. The Bible closes with the book of Revelation in uh, chapter 19 verse 16, saying he is the king of kings, lord of lords. Why do we not talk about the king? I think it's because we know he's the king, but the name king Or the word king or the title king does not resonate well in democracies. And by the way, there are more democracies on the planet now than ever in history. More places, more countries where a citizen can cast a meaningful vote than ever before. So don't let people tell you things are always getting worse. There are a lot of moral arcs bending toward righteousness and justice, as Martin Luther King Jr. would have put it. Jesus is king. And his people need to be about the task of obeying their king and preparing the land for him. But there are disruptors that are negative and positive. I, I studied a disruptor for over an hour this week. I had to drive, long drive, home from Tampa back to uh, Spring Hill where we live because I had family in. My mother had uh, her 92nd birthday this week. As I'm on the way, there were traffic snarls that I watch ahead. And again, I see seams, and I see patterns. It was, became pretty quick to see what was snarling the traffic. Normally, you think of a semi. It's passing a, a one that's going 61 miles an hour because they're going 61.2. But that's not what was doing it. It was a person in a car that was varying their speed from 61 to 77. And they also varied the lane in which they were doing it. There seemed to be no pattern to it. I was behind them because that's where you have to be when there's a disruptor ahead of you. A few times I passed the car when it went slowly. Other times it would pass me. And I would look over and they're not on their phone. They're not reading a book. They're not eating a 12 inch sub. They look, were looking ahead, 10 and 2 position. They had no clue they were disrupting. There's a great book called Awareness. Go read it. Um, we don't disrupt by being careless and thoughtless, we disrupt by being intentional and loving. Other people ignore the homeless people, we stop. Other people ignore as soon as it drops out of the news. There was a great flood, there was a great famine, there was a great disease. Gone now, did you look? One of these Hollywood people just got pregnant. Christians do not avert their eyes, but they remember. And they help. And they quietly do it, because this is a revolution that is done by intention. Whenever we call Jesus King, it demotes the people who think they are. And they don't like it. Whether that's that one person in your family that always demands to be heard, followed, and cows everybody else into submission. Or whether it is a government official. Or whether it is the mob in the street yelling how you're supposed to think and the words you're allowed to use. Remember, we have a different king. And they may nail us to a tree or they may do us what they want. But the reason they're so angry is because We demote them. They are not kings over us. We do not respond to them in fear or obedience. The thing is, this changes everything. It turns the world upside down, and the world's not happy about it. Jesus was not shy about telling us what he was about and what he was doing and why he was doing it. We will read this particular passage out of Luke chapter 4 a few times during this series, because it is almost like, if I may, and I'm aware that all of these analogies are flawed. It is almost like the Declaration of Independence, and the Sermon on the Mount is the Constitution for the Christian faith. Although we are not a political system, and we are not a world power system, he launches in Luke 4. Now, in the synagogue, they had a part of their worship, which was the reading of Scripture the reading varied each time they would roll the scroll on a little bit further and everybody had a turn to read and jesus enters the synagogue on the day when it's his turn to read and they've now moved the scripture forward and he sits down in verse 16 he came to nazareth where he was brought up and on the sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom he stood to read And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. Who do you anoint? Kings. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. Who can do that? a king, an anointed one, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I am 66 years old. I have read that passage literally thousands of times. I have never read it without chills hitting me, because I realized what he had just done was declare war on the world's way of doing things, and upon the Romans, and upon the systems, and upon those in power, and by the way, if you didn't notice it, his mama beat him to it, because when she realized she was pregnant, go back, we'll read it later this month, but go back and read in Luke her prayer, what does she say about this baby? He's going to throw down those in power. He is going to kick out the ones who keep us down. He is going to bring up the poor and bring down the rich. We also don't get very comfortable with that. By the way, just a a little commercial here. One of our members, one of our dear sisters, um, Liz Hunt, is doing a series, multi-part series. There there are quite a few of them. And she did that by design and by my request uh, to, to make them... Smaller and in portions, about the Christian and politics, and she's already I've done four, I believe, has been have been posted, and uh, she is demonstrating how people use the Bible to prove that their system is correct, and then she looks at the next system the next week and the next, and it should be teaching us something. And I thank Liz for that. So go back if you've not heard that. Start at the first, but again. Jesus was not shy about telling us who he was and what he was about on this earth. He spoke very plainly. He spoke very directly. And the, um, the reaction was something to see. Same chapter here, verse 28 and forward. All the people in the synagogue were furious. You know, we usually stop up there and go, wow, that's amazing. And then we stop. no the people come out of their seats, they didn't have seats, or sitting on the ground, but they come out and they're yelling, when they, heard, they got up and drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff, you know I've had a lot of reactions to my sermons, <laughs> there have been a few sermons before I preached them, I told Cammie, you might want to go to the parking lot and start the car, this is what you might call a moving sermon, because I have the feeling there'll be moving trucks building up soon. I've even had a death threat. I've even had not direct death threats, threats but pretty close. There are not that many, by the way. It it, it just it happens. It happens almost to everybody who, who is in a public eye. But I haven't been drugged to the side of a, a front, top of a hill to be thrown off a cliff. Not and that's not a life goal, in case you're wondering. Let's get Patrick what he's never had. No. It's also very, isn't it, very mysterious? I'm just going to say this before I really look at the meat of this. It doesn't tell us how he turned and walked right through the crowd. I have a theory. <laughs> Anybody wants it? Because <laughs> I've looked at this a lot. I have got the feeling they did throw him off. He just didn't fall. Then, without a word, you can pretty much walk through the crowd after that. Just kind of like those woodpecker cartoons uh, with with. Um, with the coyote and such whenever they go off the cliff but they hang about for a while before they fall, except he doesn't, I can't think of any other way because he's not going through with his fist, how do you go through a crowd trying to throw you off a cliff with no violence I think you might impress them a little bit but he didn't hit them, they were furious because they understood what he was saying, do we? What will our reaction be? Will we be furious or will we like in that terribly sad poem when Jesus came to Birmingham merely pass him by? Matthew is the gospel that most often depicts Jesus as a king and also as a type of Moses. He brings Jesus and Moses' life together a lot. And it's there that we find Jesus' treatise that we call the Sermon on the Mount and it was a sermon, and it was on a mount, but I would love to find a better name for it. Because this is, this is a declaration of war against the world, but a war waged with the weapon of love and sacrifice and generosity, sharing our goods, sharing our lives, even with those, as our dear sister said in that wonderful greeting today. Thank you, Sister Simon. That um, Even with those that don't like us, And even those we don't like, we love and we share with. I've often, what what do we call it? The words of God's kingdom, the announcement. How about the revolution? The revolutionary treatise. I don't know. I actually don't have a title for it. I like, but we need to find a better title because we need to take it more seriously and and live it more diligently. You see, here's the thing. The Sermon on the Mount is not hard to understand. It is brutally hard to live. There's the thing. I will never be able to look at God and go, well, you know, I did read the Sermon on the Mount, and I know you said something, but you know, it was really pretty tough. I didn't understand what you're going for. No, it's not that tough. It's tough to do it. That's the tough part. We have a king. This is his law. The Sermon on the Mount is his law. He is the anointed one. And if we live this, by the way, you will turn your world upside down and it won't always be in a good way. When I first saw Cami, she turned my world upside down. That was a good way. When I bowed my knee to Jesus, he turned my world upside down. It has not always been pleasant. And it won't always be pleasant. That's why he said, pick up your cross and follow me. He never said, pick up your comfy chair and follow me. We don't get chairs. We get crosses. At every stop, people were very kind. How can we pray for our safe harbor? How can we pray for you? And when people pray for me, I have the same three things. Health, wisdom, and strength for the journey. That's really, I don't want to let God down. But one of the things I remember, He didn't give us chairs. He gave us a cross. Get up and carry. Go. Go. And I pray God that He lets me work longer. And I'll keep going as long as he does. Look at the way Jesus started this, this sermon. We all know it. It's called the Beatitudes. Which is a church word for we're going to make sure nobody in the world knows what we're talking about. Some people say Beatitudes just means the blessings. and not help either. It really does not. Because when you read this, I challenge you to find where the blessings are because as soon as you do, you'll find who's not being blessed. And then I've heard all my life people say, well, now the word blessed really means happy. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. That's close, kinda. Maybe joyful and hope together would be a way to do it. But I mean, look at the way he starts this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there's his kingdom of heaven. We're gonna talk about this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed, I'm reading this like people read it with no intonation or care. Although our reader today did a good job, didn't she? You notice that? Excellent. Blessed are those who in hunger and thirst after righteousness, they'll be filled. Blessed are more full, those being shown. Okay. Blessed are pure in heart, they'll see God. Blessed are people. That's how we do this. But imagine reading this, just seeing this part, and Jesus looking at the group saying, Any questions? (laughs) Yes. I have questions, sure, we have questions, people have questions, yeah, we've tried to tame this language, we've tried to make it reasonable, clear, simple, we've defanged it, I not even remember a book written years ago by, I think it was Robert Shuler, The Be Happy Attitudes, really, I'm not really sure about that, churches have made it harmless. And they've certainly not demanded that their people follow this. We demand certain things in churches, don't we? We want you to be baptized in a certain way. You need to be organized in a certain way. You need to sing in a certain way. You need to believe these things about God. And I keep hearing all of that. And then I'm going, but what about what Jesus said? When do we get to what Jesus said? If we demand our people live the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to have struggles with our people. Because we're going to have struggles with ourselves. Isn't that... true, isn't that honest, how hard is this, it's disruptive, it gets into the seams and it collapses the seams, it confuses the movement, the salmon run now becomes an eight-way thing, it becomes a five-point intersection, not a one-way thing, well let's have a quick look, all right, just a quick look, I'm looking over at my time, (laughs) that was pretty optimistic, wasn't it Dave, yeah Dave's superpower is not hurting me because uh, I, I make his life tough I'm sure blessed are the poor in spirit Well, churches have traditionally said and in fact I checked several commentaries are still saying it this means blessed are those who recognize their own spiritual poverty because then they'll turn to God no, no I did not at all and it's in here if you'll take a look at the other version of the Sermon on the Mount oh yeah, there are two it's in Luke 6. It's not phrased the same way. And I've had people go, oh, well, well, then that's a contradiction. No, I have the feeling Jesus had to do this speech more than one time. Don't you think? How many times do you think he had to say it to different places? He couldn't just put it on the internet back then. So, but Luke 6 and verse 20, looking at the disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. So it's not poor in spirit there, it's poor that word in the greek means poor no money or food well in fact let's let's just take a look at all of this 17 forward he went down with them stood on a level place so this is the sermon on a level place A large crowd of his disciples were there and a great number of people from all over Judea, Jerusalem, coastal regions around Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. What do we want from a king? Comfort, peace, safety and food. Whereas in Romans, bread in the circuses. Give him free bread and keep him entertained. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all and looking at his disciples he said blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who hunger now. Notice the change? For you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now for you will laugh. Is this a little bit clearer? I think this is a little bit clearer. Blessed are you when people hate you. When they exclude you. AND INSULT YOU, AND REJECT YOUR NAME AS EVIL BECAUSE OF THE SON OF MAN. REJOICE IN THAT DAY AND LEAP FOR JOY BECAUSE GREAT IS YOUR REWARD IN HEAVEN. FOR THAT'S HOW THEIR ANCESTORS TREATED THE PROPHETS. BUT WOE TO YOU WHO ARE RICH. OH, WAIT, THERE'S ANOTHER SIDE OF THIS. THERE'S AN an OBVERSE SIDE TO THE BE HAPPY ATTITUDES. BUT WOE TO YOU WHO ARE RICH, FOR YOU'VE ALREADY RECEIVED YOUR COMFORT. RANDY HARRIS SAYS CHRISTIANS AREN'T LOOKING FORWARD TO HEAVEN because for too many of them it's going to be a downgrade in their social standing Mm. woe to you who are well fed now you'll go hungry woe to you who laugh now because you'll mourn and weep woe to you when everybody speaks well of you remember that woe to you when everybody speaks well of you for that's how their ancestors treated the false prophets isn't that fascinating don't you think we should know about the sermon on the flat place which is the same as the Sermon on the Mount, but phrased for a different audience, therefore, very plain. Jesus was upending the entire social system. The poor could rejoice because food and fairness is coming to the poor. When you give to us, it is not hoarded. We do not spend it on fripperies and extras. It is used for salary. It is used for what we have to do to to get this out to you. But it's also... Pays for me getting to you or other members getting to you. It also pays it, uh, money into charity to help the poor and lift them up. The rich are going to mourn because they're going to have to share their wealth. This is, by the way, is no Marxist or communist fantasy. I can prove that. Marxism and communism, uh, communism and Marxism always have a small group of people at the top who are rich, powerful, untouchable, and everybody else is miserable the little people have to do without, while they're constantly told they are having a great time and promise bread and promise safety. As the old joke says, the, Russian, the Russians believe Adam and Eve were Russians or Soviets, and the reason was they had no clothes, they had no house, they only had an apple to eat, but they were told it was paradise. That's what rampant socialism, Marxism, communism does. There are versions of socialism that you can call Christian socialism, but listen to Liz about all that. Stalin promised five-year plans to prosperity endlessly while starving to death tens of millions of his own people. No, this isn't that. This is the unleashing of people with a new king, and their law says share, give, love, invite them into the community. And if you need more proof, take a look at the result of 3,000 people being baptized in chapter 2 of Acts. We always love Acts 2.38 in, in many of our tribes of the past. And and we should because it talks about baptism and elevates it to where it should be. But I always say there are other verses here. I remember as a young man they asked me to give a talk, a, a, I hate to say preach because I'm not sure I ever preach. I just kind of sit around and talk Um, on Acts 2. And I didn't stop at Acts 2.38. I went the rest about how the original church for hundreds of years shared their houses, shared their food, shared their stuff, considered nothing of their own, their own. I was called into a meeting afterwards. They didn't have elders. What they had were meetings. And I was called a communist. I was also called a Yankee, which is technically incorrect. But anyway, also communist is very incorrect. But the thing is, that's how people react, even in Christian faith, whenever you say, you know something? The dollar in your wallet doesn't belong to you. It just doesn't. Now what are we going to do about this? How are we going to share? Open hands, open hearts. That's what our king requires. And that's how we're different than the others. And By the way, if you think the world's getting terrible, and there are terrible things, absolutely. The hottest, most growing YouTube channels, both with regular shows and what they call shorts, which are, are normally not over two minutes, sometimes much less, are young people, millennials, people under 40, in many cases under 30, going around finding wait staff finding homeless people finding women in a a grocery store having to calm a child because they can't afford the cereal the kid wants and handing them thousands or giving them tents they show up with a big cart for the homeless here's tents here's propane for your stove here's money for coffee it is the fastest growing thing now. I see probably 20 to 50 a day popping up on the feed. People are hungry for this. They don't, they're not hungry for church. They're not hungry for pews and stained glass, although I think stained glass is beautiful. Happened, I'm a big fan because it reminds me it was all made out of broken glass. We are all broken glass and look what God can make out of us. You see that? I love that. But People aren't interested in that. They're not interested in, well, do you follow the five steps of Calvinism or do you do? What they want to do is, what difference does it make on the ground to the poor, the broken, the hurting, the people nobody else sees? And the church needs to get out there and obey its king so that we can ride the wave of love. So look at Matthew 1 through 10 again, and I know my time has hit the end. What do you see? You see a world turned upside down. The poor, Will finally have a homeland those who mourn they will receive hope they will no longer be left behind ignored uncomforted or thought you mourn because you've sinned remember the book of Job they won't get that message anymore the meek they'll be lifted up by their neighbors those who hunger for righteousness oh good news for you there'll be plenty of righteousness to go around because God himself supplies it those who are merciful they will see the land flooded with mercy because where the people who bow to King Jesus go, mercy goes, not judgment. Mercy, grace, love, open hands, open hearts. The pure in heart will see God alive and well in the streets. And the peacemakers, well, they're going to find that they've got a new partner. They're going to find the children of God doing the same thing, and then they realize I'm one of them. The persecuted, they're going to find protection and peace in a kingdom that honors them. How can this happen? It can only happen. It can only happen when a king comes and overthrows the current king, not in our governments, but in our hearts. And that's exactly what happened. That's why Herod sent soldiers into Jerusalem. That's why the... Leaders of the temple demanded Jesus be killed rather than have him cost them their jobs and their power. Jesus is still in the business of overthrowing kings. He's still in the business of sending out streams of heaven on this earth. Disruptive streams. He's just gotten started. You say you want a revolution? Boy, I have news for you. It's already started. The question is, where are you? Let's think about that. This, week, this month, rather, as we deal with, you say you want a revolution. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for allowing me to go on past the 30 minutes. I'm assuming you're still tuned in. Uh, if not, here's the deal, though. We still have to love you. How's that worked out? And we do love you.